Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. We are finishing up this series called Missing Pieces. Has this series been helpful to you? Oh, I have loved this. Every installment, each topic, to be, to be able to study it and internalize it and then share that with the church. It has been so valuable for me. I hope it's added value to you. I know last week, if you were here, you had a chance to hear from Pastor Johnny Baby Blue Eyes Green. Didn't he bring a great word on joy? We ought to put our hands together for Johnny. Strong. Strong, strong. So we're going to wrap up the series today. Just out of curiosity, how many of you are here and you have a trace of forgetfulness? Anybody have suffer from some absent-mindedness? How many of you misplace things? You, you, you set things down and you can't remember what you did with it. Uh, you know, <laughs> the, I read this study recently. The average person, the average person loses more than 3,000 possessions in their lifetime. 3,000 possessions. Some of you are overachieving, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, some of you are losing your mind. Can't remember where you left that. Uh, some of the most commonly misplaced items, okay? We're talking about lost items. You know the number one misplaced item? Keys. How many of you said keys? Have you ever been looking for your keys and you just wonder where did the keys go? And ladies, I'm telling you, I don't know what you put in that purse, but you can't ever find anything in that purse. It's like the black hole. It's the deep abyss. You search for, I've already looked there. No, no, no. Look again. Can't find your keys. How many of you are thankful for keyless entry? Yeah, voice automation. That helps all of you that lose your keys. Um, the second most commonly lost item is the phone. Cell phone. How many of you know it is panic? It's crisis if you lose your cell phone. Anybody have that Find My Phone app? It's been a lifesaver for you. I was saying this uh, last service. Rachel's mom, I love her. I love Mimi. She was on the phone with her son. She was literally talking to him on her phone, and she's like, Clint, hold on a second. I, I cannot find my phone. <laughs> Mimi, you talking on it? Uh, keys are the number one lost item. Cell phone is the number two. The number three, pins. Pins. How many of you lose Pins. How many of you have a stash of pens in your, in your drawer and you have no idea where they came from? Yeah, because you're a kleptomaniac. I'm a self-professed klepto. I have all these pens. I lose pens, but if you let me borrow your pen, you're not getting it back. Um, the number four most frequently lost item, glasses. Glasses are sunglasses. Have you ever been searching for your glasses only to realize they're right there on your head? Yeah, yeah, and finally, number five, the most commonly lost item, number five, the remote control. Oh, oh, yes. Rather than physically get up out of the couch and walk to the, the, the TV and manually change the, listen, listen, okay, all you kids under 30, all you kids under 30, there was a day when we didn't have a remote control. I'm just saying, how many of you remember that day? Yeah, you literally had a dial on that big old box called a television. How many members that? 
Yeah, and, and you just twist that dial. You ever twist it and it break and you have to get the vice grips? How many had a TV with vice grips that were just permanently on the dial? Yeah, and then they invented the remote, but it was attached by a cable or a cord. How many remembers that? Yeah, nowadays we have this, this remote control of if we lose it, it's a, it's a big deal. The average adult loses four items a month. The average kid loses seven items a month, and in their school years will lose over a thousand items. Your kids are losing things all the time. You know, this is a, a, a true, I researched this this past week. There's such a thing called a smart wallet. A sm anybody interested in something like this? A smart wallet. It's called the, the Volterman wallet. It's made to be lost and recovered. Check this out. It has a built-in power bank. It has a distance alarm. So if your wallet gets so far away from your cell phone, it will signal you and alarm you. It has global GPS tracking, a worldwide Wi-Fi hotspot, and an anti-theft camera. So here's what literally happens. It's, it's tracked through GPS, and once it's a certain distance away from your phone, your phone gets signaled. Now, if somebody were to find this wallet and pick it up and open it, it has a camera. It takes a picture of their face and sends it to your phone. Can somebody say, thank you, Jesus? Yeah, hey, the cost of this smart wallet, $250. Some of you, that's more money than you got in your wallet. Come on now. It, it's amazing what we do to recover the things that we lose. And we lose things all the time. Over the, the course of this series, Missing Pieces, we've, we've talked about things that are missing in our lives. We talked about the puzzle piece of community and our need for relationship. We talked about understanding our purpose and, God, why on earth am I here? What have you created me for? Uh, several weeks ago, we talked about authenticity and the need to keep things real. Last week, Pastor Johnny talked about joy and the missing piece that so many struggle to find, happiness and joy. Well, let me ask you this question. What do you do when you lose something that you feel like can't be replaced? What do you do, maybe it's a relationship that you thought would last forever. You counted on it lasting forever. You said your vows. You made promises, and it was a forever moment, but now that relationship is gone, and you feel like it'll never be filled again. Maybe for some of you, it's a connection with one of your kids. Things are not right with your child. Maybe things aren't right between you and your child. There's a gaping hole in your soul, and you wonder, will it ever be restored? What do you do with this space right here? We, we, we try to fill our lives with so many things to replace emptiness. Maybe some of you have lost a parent this year. Maybe some of you have lost a child. You've lost someone that you've loved, someone that you were believing God was going to heal, and it didn't happen the way you wanted it to, and, and you had to say goodbye, and, and now you're left with this loneliness, this emptiness inside of you. M maybe, it's a, maybe it's a sense of, of, of purpose and fulfillment. Maybe you've lost your job, and this is something that you, maybe for years, 25, 30 years working at the same company, and they've downsized some things. Your department has been eliminated, and now you struggle to figure out who you are. What do you do when you lose a dream? You've given up on it. 
And you say, you know what, not in this lifetime. Maybe the person that you long to be, but the person you are now, that gap is so large and you wonder, will it ever get any shorter? What do you do when you've lost something that you feel like can't be replaced? I I felt like we couldn't finish this series without talking about loss. And you know what? This is kind of a heavy topic. This, this message should come with a warning label. You know, like, there are certain thematic contents that are heavy and intense. And I don't want to be a downer. I don't want to finish with, with, with us struggling across the finish line of this series. But I felt like it was so important that in this church, especially in this house, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world, we ha- have to talk about stuff that hurts. We have to talk about pain that people carry. And in fact, there's no greater suffering in all the scriptures but the suffering of a man named Job. I want you to turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Job. He's probably the most significant sufferer in all of scripture. And you know, this has been a, a daunting task to prepare for. You know, in all honesty, it, it's, it's felt like preparation for a funeral service. I mean, it, it, is, it has been very, very difficult for me. And I've wrestled and I've labored with this and I've read through the life of Job and to to break his life down in 32 minutes is next to impossible. But I want to tell you this, I want to encourage you, studying the life of Job will minister to you. I don't know what pain you carry, I don't know what loss that you've suffered through, but I promise you this, your worst day here on earth compared to Job's worst day, it's miles apart. And I'm so thankful that the Bible would include the narrative of a guy like Job because the Bible's not afraid to talk about loss and pain, confusion and questions and suffering. And so, you know, as as we dive into this together, I want you to read with me and I want you to open up your heart for the things that God would have to say to you as it relates to this missing piece called loss. Job chapter one, starting with verse six. The Bible says, one day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord. I want you to get this picture in your mind. Here, God Almighty is sitting in a place of authority, and the heavenly court comes together, and they present themselves before him. And the Bible says the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and he stays away from evil. I mean, no, that's a pretty good resume right there. If the Lord's going to be talking about you to say those things, it's pretty special. Have you noticed all these things in Job's life? Verse 9, Satan replied to the Lord, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Job has good reason to fear you. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look at how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has. There's the word loss. Take it all away, and he'll surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him. The Lord said to Satan, do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Now I want to stop right there. And again, I want to fast forward through some events that happened. And most of you are familiar with the life of Job. But out of this conversation, we see Job having an incredibly 
bad, bad day. In one day, he gets four reports. Each one is worse than the one before. He loses his cattle. He loses his sheep. He loses his camels. And he loses his kids. And not far after that, then he's, he's hit from head to toe with boils, from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. He suffers in his body. In just a 24-hour period, he loses his health, he loses his wealth, and he loses his family. Can I tell you, Job knows something about loss. Notice the conversation that God has with the devil. Do you notice who volunteers Job for this test? Did you, did you see that? Satan presents himself before God, and God says, Devil, have you noticed my servant Job? Now, if you're Job right there, wouldn't you want to just be like, oh, wait, wait, wait a second. Time out. Times. God, come here. Can we talk real quick? Leave me out of it. Man, I'm just minding my own business. I'm just staying in my lane. Come on, not trying to hurt anybody. Come on. How many thinks it's a little bold for God to nominate Job? Okay, man, all right, maybe I'm blameless and maybe I'm full of integrity and all that, but we don't have to brag about all of that. Yeah, God nominates Job. And, and I think and when it comes to suffering, I want to give you three simple thoughts. And these are broad themes that you'll see over 42 chapters in the book of Job. But the first one is this. When suffering hits, it's easy for us to ask the question, why? Somebody say, why? We say, why me? Why this? Why now? I think that's probably the number one question asked when we suffer loss but it's probably the most difficult question to answer. I think people struggle their entire lives trying to find the answer to that question. And the truth is, we won't get a whole lot of answers to that one. And, but the devil will use the why to keep us stuck in the now. Are you with me? We try to piece together. It's almost like connect the dots. Do you remember when you were a kid and you'd get that little coloring sheet and it was a dot-to-dot connection? How many members of those? And you start with dot number one, and then you look for dot number two, and it's pretty close to dot number one. And so you draw a line from dot one to dot two, and then you look for dot three, and they're all kind of lined up, one and two and three, and you begin to see things take shape. But then all of a sudden, you look for dot number four. It's like, wait a second. If one and two and three are right here, well, surely four. And then you notice dot four is all the way across the page. And you think, wait, 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 that doesn't make any sense. That dot is misplaced. And so it is with the dot of pain. Our life makes sense when everything fits together nice and neat. But then there's this dot way across the page, and we're trying to make sense of that. No, 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 no. I don't want that dot in my life. I don't need that dot in my life. And yet it happens, unwelcomed and unannounced. And this is what we see with Job. And I can remember when I was in the, the, the 12th grade, my senior year in high school, I had no idea that there was any problem in my home, zero. Never saw my parents fight, never heard them argue, but my senior year in high school, my parents divorced. I mean, and it totally rocked my world. Divorce was something that happened to other people's families, not mine. I mean, my my, my dad was in church. He was the choir director. My mom taught Sunday school. I mean, we were a part of this this family of, of faith and these values, and next thing you know, my world was turned upside down. And for me, there were times when divorce felt worse than death. Because in divorce, I felt like I died a little bit every single day. And I didn't understand. And I'm like, God, why? 
I felt like somebody had stolen the happy ending from my life, and I wanted it back. And some of you know exactly what that feels like. You know the pain of unexpected loss, and the first thing you ask is, why? Why did this happen? You see, we read this passage in Job chapter 1, and you and I have the benefit of seeing a conversation. There's a heavenly conversation, but Job knows nothing of it. He's not aware. He doesn't know that God believes in him, that God trusts him, that God favors him. He sees his life falling apart. We have perspective because we can see 2020. We can see the end of the story. We know this story from beginning to end. But the truth is, Job could only see what was in front of him. And and when it comes to pain and suffering, the devil only wants you to see what's in front of you. And he wants you to ask why. And when you don't get the answer to that question, he wants you to blame God. Come on now, you with me? He wants you to blame God. He wants you to leave the church. And he wants you to just shut down and be stuck in a moment. Yet Job had the wherewithal to understand the character and nature of God. Even though I don't understand what's happening to me, God, I trust you. You know one of the significant verses in this narrative in Job 17, verse 9? I love what Job says. Now, his pain's not been resolved. In fact, he's more confused and he's struggling with questions. But he makes this statement. He says, the righteous will keep moving forward and the pure in heart will get stronger and stronger. Can you say that in the midst of your pain? In the midst of your suffering, can you declare the righteous will keep moving forward? Now notice this. God gave permission for the test, but he also set parameters for the test. Are you with me? Everybody say permission. Say parameters. God gave the green light. Now, Now the suffering didn't come from God. God didn't cause it, but he allowed it. God allowed tragedy to come into Job's life, but he put some parameters. He said, okay, devil, you're not going to take his life. You can take his resources. You can, take, uh, you can even afflict his health. You can take his family, but you can't touch his life. God put parameters on the suffering. And if you understand this about God, God may allow some things into our lives, but the character and nature of God is to take even bad things and use them for good. Are you with me? He doesn't, the Bible doesn't say all things are good, but the Bible says God can take bad things and use them for good. And this is where Job begins to understand, okay, even though I may not have an answer to the question why, God, I trust your nature, and I know that you love me and that you're for me, so the righteous will keep moving forward. I want to encourage some of you today, don't get stuck in the why. Move forward. In fact, the better question is not why, but who. It's not, God, why is this happening? But, Lord, who are you when I'm suffering? Suffering and pain will reveal some things to you about you, but it will also show you some things about the God who created you. You see, Job wrestled with the question why. And, you know, it wasn't like God. I mean, there are like 40-some-odd chapters where there's this back and forth God didn't try to rush Job to, make a, 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 to a give solution to his problem. He gave Job margin to ask questions. And if you're here today, I want to encourage you, it's okay to have questions. 
You know, it doesn't always have to make sense. Don't feel pressured from the church, from your pastor, or from the spiritual community to put it all nice and neat in a box. Sometimes life is messy, and sometimes you go through seasons of doubt and you struggle. But, you know, you make a commitment in your heart. Lord, even when I don't understand, I'm going to trust you anyway. Look at what it says in chapter 2, verse 11. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Now notice, Job's got some buddies. The names were Eliphaz, the Timonite, Bildad, the Shuhite, Zophar, the Namathite, Dadgum, the Termite. I'm just te- teasing. I just want to make sure you were still listening. You with me? Termite's not in there, all right? Everybody take a deep breath. Okay, man, these Old Testament names. He had three friends come to comfort him. Look at what it says in verse 12. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and they threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. The first thing I had you write down is the word why. Second thing, write down this word, words. Words. This is an important theme when it comes to suffering. I want you to see what Job's friends did. They came to him in his pain. You know, I think it's important that we, ad- we don't avoid people in pain. That we, even in our churches, we have to make room for those who are suffering, especially in our churches, especially in this church. If this is a healing place for a hurting world, can I tell you, this is a safe place to bring your pain. Can I have a better amen? And notice Job's friends, when they saw him in his suffering, his pain was so great that they sat with him for an entire week and didn't say a word. Job's friends were at their best when they kept their mouth shut. Come on now. Can I have a better amen? How many of you get along well with some people and you get along better with them when they don't say a thing? But as soon as they open their mouth, come on now, talk to me. Now listen, you, you, you mean well, but you just mean. Job's friends, when they begin to open their mouth, that's when they got in a whole lot of trouble. You see, Job's pain came from two places. First of all, it came from the silence of his God. Secondly, it came from the words of his friends. You know, why is it that sometimes in pain, God seems noticeably absent? You know, for, again, for 40-some-odd chapters, Job is asking questions and trying to make sense of his suffering, and God seems to be silent. Some of you are in a season right now where life is so painful, and you've lost so much, and you just need a word from God. You're holding on to a word from the Lord. God, I need any word. And then you've got some people that come along, and they say some of the dumbest things. Are you with me? Isn't it amazing how when you're at your lowest and at your most vulnerable that people can say the craziest things to you? Oh, and, and they're, they're trying to relate, trying to connect. I recently uh, 
was talking to a couple, and, and they, had, um, uh, they, uh, they had a daughter that was born with a rare disease, a special needs uh, daughter with this disease that there's no cure. I mean, it's, it's rare, barely diagnosed, and they had to put her on a feeding tube. Well, they come to church, and one of the girls met them and said, you know what? I heard about your daughter, and I know how you feel. My cat got sick last week, and I had to feed my cat with it. How many know at that point, hey, don't tell me about your cat. Forget your cat, little Fifi Fluffy. God bless her. I'm not a big cat fan. I like cats. They taste like chicken. I'm I'm teasing, I'm teasing. But she's trying to compare her cat to their daughter. I mean, people say the the weirdest, strangest, off-the-wall thing. They're trying to relate or they're trying to compare their pain to your pain. Can I tell you, it's a mistake to compare pain. You know why? Because it all just hurts. Pain hurts. So don't try to comfort me with your story because you feel like your pain is worse. You're minimizing my pain. Come on, are you with me? You see, as a church, we got to get this right. When people are suffering, we have to harness and learn the power of our words. Talked to a couple, and they had gone through a miscarriage, and, and so they, they, they didn't even want to come to church because they were afraid of what they would hear when they came to church. And, and, and totally, I, I get that. But they said they had to come up with a list. They said, okay, we're just going to have to make a list. People are going to say dumb things, so we're going to put them on the list. And so they got this list, and they call it the cotton-headed ninny-muggins list. All right, I know you're trying to relate, but your name is going on the list. And it was their way of trying to to realize that people are limited. You know what? Sometimes we seek comfort in people, but it's comfort that, that only God can give. And the danger in trying to find comfort in others is putting an expectation on them that they can't provide. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the comforter. We serve the God of all comfort. Now, sometimes he will use people, but we can't look to people for comfort. And this is where Job said, okay, listen, all you guys, because guess what? His buddies were telling him, well, the reason why your life is falling apart is because there's sin in your life. Have you heard that before? Why is it that we get real theological about God when people are suffering and we try to pinpoint the sin in their life? The disciples did it. In John chapter 9, they saw a man that was born blind. And so the disciples said, Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? Isn't that human nature to try to attach blame? Come on now, are you with me? Jesus said neither. He was born blind so the glory of God can be revealed in him. I'll tell you this, even in your suffering, the glory of God can be revealed. A watching world will look at a believer and say, how does he handle suffering? And if we handle it in the right way, it speaks to the goodness and the glory of God. Isaiah 50, verse 4, the Bible says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned. You can teach your tongue, the tongue of the learned, so that I may know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. I pray that God would give us, as a body of believers, the tongue of the learned that we won't say bad things at the wrong time, that, that we would be led by the Spirit. And, and You know what? Sometimes it's good to say, listen, I, just, I have no idea what you're going through. I can't imagine the pain that you're carrying right now, but I just want you to know I care about you. I want you to know I'm praying for you. If I can help you in any way, I mean, I'm going to tell you this. 
this, I've done some soul searching for this message. And I feel like when, when it comes to funerals, sometimes I feel like the worst. I, I, I struggle to find the right words. And as the pastor, you're supposed to have a word in season. You're supposed to have the right things to say. And I always feel inadequate. But then I trust on God's grace because I know his grace is sufficient. And so what I lack in verbiage and vocabulary, I just pray that this word would fill in every gap. And so I don't give people my words. I try to point them to the word. See, the problem with Job's friends, they were trying to explain God to Job. Job didn't need that. Job needed somebody to come into his pain with him and express that to the Lord. Healing comes when we step into the pain of somebody else and we help them bear their burdens. Are you with me? You know, it, it, I remember a time, and uh, in, in, I think it's in Luke chapter, oh, it's Mark chapter 5, it may be Luke chapter 8, Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. And he's going there because he was given a report that Jairus' daughter was sick. En route to the house, he gets word that the daughter's already dead. She's passed away. Look, don't, don't even come now. She, she, it, it's, it's too late. And Jesus said, no, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. And do you know when Jesus said those words, everybody around him laughed? And they began to ridicule Jesus, and they mocked him. And the Bible says that when he got to the house, he had to kick everybody out. Some of you need to take doubt and negativity, and you need to kick it out of your house. You've had things spoken over you. You've had this negative, critical thing, that, that, that words that are ringing in your spirit. You've got to create an atmosphere of faith. Jesus said, you, 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 get out. Peter, James, and John, come with me. We're going to come together, and we're going to speak life. You know why? Because the power of life and death is where? It's right here on the tip of your tongue. And in the middle of your suffering, if you can still speak life, I'm telling you, it may not change your circumstances, but it'll change you. When you begin to say what God says, declare what he declares, then what happens, this word of God that's living and breathing, it's planted on the inside of you. Job had unsympathetic friends. And some of you know the pain of friends who just can't relate. But God will use that to teach you how to minister to others. Job asked why. There were a whole lot of words. But I want to finish this message here with the final thought. Worship. Worship. You say, Mike, what does that have to do with suffering? Look at what Job says in Job 1.21. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me everything I had, and now the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Now, how in the world could Job, in his situation, say, praise the name of the Lord? How in the human nature, there's nothing in our flesh that can worship in tragedy. It's a spiritual thing. He said, naked I came into this world. What's he saying? You know what Job's saying when he, he says, naked I came into this world? He's saying, I'm a steward and not an owner. 
I don't own a single thing. I was born into this world with nothing. You know how you came into this world? Buck naked. Not a, I mean, you own zero. You own absolutely nothing. You know how you're leaving this world? The same way that you came. Zero coming in, zero going out. So material possessions wasn't mine to begin with. Didn't belong to me. I came here with nothing. I only have what God has given me. And guess what? If God gave it to you, watch this, it still belongs to God even in your stewardship. So maybe it was a job or an opportunity or a relationship. And maybe there was a season when you thought it was yours. It was here, but now it's gone. Guess what? God is the giver of every gift. It's his. It belongs to him. It came from him. It belongs to him. So what, would we, what do we do? What's our response to the things God has entrusted us with? Gratitude. Lord, I'm grateful. I don't understand. Some things happen beyond my control. But Lord, you are a good God. Lord, I have nothing. I leave with nothing. Whatever you've put in my possession, I'm a steward, and I'm grateful for. You know, the way, the way that I feel and what I believe are not always the same. Sometimes I feel such pain and such fear, such confusion. Those feelings are honest. They're totally legit. But what I believe in the character and nature of who God is. God, you are good. You, you are good. I don't question you. I question other things, but I, I don't question you. The Bible says in all of this, Job didn't sin by blaming God. Why? He said the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, if you fast forward to the very end, and I've done a poor job of trying to take 42 chapters. It needs to be a series. And squeeze it into 32 minutes. But I want you to hear this. In Job 42, verse 10, this is the tipping point, the turning point of this story. The Bible says, when Job prayed for his friends, these unsympathetic, cotton-headed ninny-muggins, these guys that, man, they thought they were doing Job a favor, but, man, they might as well just keep their mouth shut. When Job prayed for his friends, the Bible says, then the Lord turned the fortunes of Job and gave him twice as much as he had before. Twice as much. Well, watch this. God said, I'm going to give you double for all your trouble. You've been through a whole lot. And they accused you. They said there was sin in your life. Man, they made all this stuff up about you. It wasn't even true. Don't worry about them. I'm going to deal with them. He says, what I'm going to do, I'm going to bless you and give you twice as, twice as much as you had before. You know what that tells me? Your ending can be better than your beginning. Your ending. I, I don't know where you are now, but if it's not good, it's not over. You see, because in God, your ending can be even better. He had twice as many cattle, twice as many sheep, twice as many camels. Well, guess what? He had 10 kids, and God gave him 10 more kids. You say, Mike, why didn't God give him 20 kids? If he doubled everything else, why didn't God double the kids? Here's why. Here's one of the thoughts, okay, just a random thought. Because Job didn't lose his kids, Job was going to see him again. He didn't lose them. 
Is it lost if you know where, where it is? Those kids simply changed neighborhoods. They changed locations. They changed addresses. He didn't need 20 kids because the 10 he had, they were with Jesus. And Job knew, hey, one day I'm going to see him again. One day, one day I'll be reunited with him. Because every relationship that we have in Christ, you say, Mike, I can't replace it. But you know what God says? I can redeem it. You may not be able to replace it, but you can redeem. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Church, can you reach a place in the middle of your suffering where you can say, God, though you slay me, yet will I trust You see, when we can turn back in praise, every broken experience, all the suffering and all the loss, if we can turn that back in praise, I'll tell you, there's something about an individual who can praise God in the middle of their suffering. Every broken place, it's like a little piece of heaven can just seep into that crack and that crevice and that brokenness. Some of the most beautiful, most powerful worship experiences we've ever had as a church has been when we walk through tragedy. When you walk through crisis and you lift up your head and you say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be, as tears roll down your face and as you think about all the pain that you've endured, Jesus, think about this, God himself chose suffering. God chose suffering by offering up Jesus. He took upon him the pain that each and every one of us would ever experience. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Mm. You see, if anybody knows something about suffering, it's our Savior. And I want to encourage you today, you and I will never go where he has not already been. He's there. Do you receive that today, church? Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.